0: Intercepted. Wasting away now at Marner. He's got a partial breakaway. and a goal. Drops it back. They score! Holy mackerel! What a beautiful play from Mitchell Marner, who reaches the 50th assist point for the fifth time in his career. And it is nines the beneficiary. Leafs maintain possession. Shot in traffic. Score! A deflection from Bertuzzi again. Now stolen back and now nice in over the line looking for a pass to the far side. Doesn't work to Matthews, scores! to Nylander, but he had gone too far, but the big boy was sliding down the slot and number 53 is in the books.
1: Good morning. It's the Fan Warning Show on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi, with you here for the next three hours. And that win last night might not have even be might not even be the biggest thing that happened to the Toronto Maple Leafs last there night. There was a, there
2: was a trade or something. I, mean,
1: have, I heard. You know, we have a trade. Uh, for those of you that went to bed early, much like myself, <laughs> I woke up to about twenty messages. We got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this. Oh, okay. Something happened. And that something was uh, Toronto acquires Ilya Labushkin again from the Anaheim Ducks for a third-round pick. They also send a sixth-round pick to Carolina for salary retention. The Leafs also acquire the rights to 2019 fifth-round pick Carol Slepitz from Carolina in the deal. The Leafs will pay 25% of Ilya Labushkin's deal. Um, that on the heels of a 4-2 victory, a very rare home regulation victory over the Arizona Coyotes. And um, for those of you that, you know, watch that, that listen to this and watch the video online of Wake and Rake, we apologize that Tyler Bertuzzi oh, missed the empty goodness. netter to hit the over.
2: Oh, I'm I've never <laughs> cheered so hard,
1: rooted so
2: hard for an empty net goal. I thought, here it is. And he hit the post. It would have been better if he fired it 10 feet wide. Yeah,
1: I it, And where he hit the post, it was one of those that it literally hit and just bounced like straight yeah, out. It straight wasn't out. like off. And then it kind of careened off the sidewall or whatever. No, no, no. It was straight in, straight
2: out. It was a little more palatable for me because I hit a couple of uh, different bets during that game. One was an Alex Kerfoot anytime goal, mm-hmm. which was great, uh, and I and I even made a note of it yesterday. As I, I specifically outlined, I'm like wake and rake. Make sure you mention Alex Kerfoot anytime goal, and I completely forgot. Um, so there you go. It doesn't matter if you make notes; It's just, you forget sometimes. So I had that and a nice little same game parlay that uh, hit. So I was it was it was more it was more palatable for me, but I was still irked when I saw. I'm like. God damn it. You just, you, you hit the post? Really? We're, we were right Darn, there. Man. We were
1: right there. Right there. So that is, um, where do we want to go first? Do you want to talk about the game first you want to talk about the trade?
2: Oh, I think, you know what? Why don't we start with the trade? Because I okay. feel like that's probably the, the biggest news item. Yeah. And then there was some well, interesting I mean, stuff from the game, obviously. But, the, I mean, that's a, that's a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal for the Leafs. A, and, win
1: a, a win against Arizona on a Thursday night at the end of February shouldn't have this many talking points but it did. I feel like there are a lot of things that we're going to get to over the course of the next three hours. Okay. So let's do the trade. So Labushkin comes in and Mm -hmm. I know, I, 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 I know it's not a correlation necessarily like a direct correlation, but I, I do wonder if the injury to Mark Giordano who left the game with a head injury, it didn't look good. Yeah. I do wonder if that kind of accelerated the process to get this deal done because Jake McCabe left the game for a, a, a brief period yesterday. We saw Mitch Marner have to play defense. You and I had the same thought process: like, why trade for a right-handed defenseman? He's sitting in your <laughs> locker room. Obviously, we're joking, but I, I, I mean, this is this shouldn't be a surprise that this is the type of guy that they brought in. It's what we've been talking about. It also shouldn't be a surprise in the player that they brought in because there's familiarity there. With the player and the and coming back to the organization, I think we are going to start calling Ilya Labushkin either blockbuster or jumbo video because he Ooh. is strictly rental only. Wow, this is how that's my really good. This is how my brain was working on the way in today. I'm like, how can we do this? Hmm. And I was thinking ah. that's probably yeah. You we'll did sh-
2: you did tease it. Uh, you came in here. You said. I got a great so we'll call nickname.
1: Him, we'll call him Blockbuster.
2: Well, I'll call him Boosh. I, I, I'll go with just the traditional. Although I do,
1: I do like Jumbo Video. You feel Blockbuster like, good. I feel though, like I think Blockbuster But Jumbo Video is Canadian. Eh. The elephant, the buttered popcorn.
2: I feel like you're too
1: young for Block for Jumbo Video. I was gonna say I
2: don't think I've ever seen a Jumbo Video Blockbuster. Oh, I know they of don't. Of course. Eat. Uh, of they course, but not
1: eh, they don't exist anymore. That's for darn sure. Well, I
2: mean, Blockbuster doesn't exist anymore. Either, no, so.
1: Jumbo Video was sta- like had the best. Was part. a
2: staple in Canada?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, in okay. Ontario anyway. I don't know okay. about Canada right. at, at large, but anyway. So okay, we'll call him Blockbuster. I'll call him Blockbuster. Yeah. So they'll at least reacquire him, and it's a it's a good fit. Here is my question, though. Like. Is that the guy that's going to play with Morgan Riley now? Like is, no. is So no. So then again, we still have not solved the problem, but who does he play with? Here? Well, he Like is he going to play with Simone Benoit and then Morgan Riley's going to play with Jake McCabe?
2: No, I hope not. But
1: Well, you didn't pay a third why, round pick to have him as your seventh defenseman.
2: Why can't he be a third pairing defenseman? What's wrong with that? It's it's not necessary, okay, but He's going to be in the lineup every night. Yeah. Why? For, for why a second is it, or
1: third pair? It doesn't matter who's he playing
2: with. That's my question. Anybody, I, but, I, anybody but Morgan Riley.
1: Okay. So then why then why are we acquiring Ilya Labushkin?
2: Because he's a right-handed defenseman and they that, don't have any. That's <laughs> they fine. have
1: nobody. That's fine. Then who comes out of the lineup?
2: William Logason. I don't know anybody.
1: But Lo- okay. But again, Loggison comes out. Yeah. So you still have not answered my question. Who's he
2: playing with? Yes. Lilligan can go play with, uh, he can go play with McCabe or, or even, even Benoit. And then you put, you put um, Labushkin with the other left shot defenseman of those two. So, it's,
1: so you're going to play Labushkin I think and Benoit
2: or No, I think Benoit or McCabe. It's got, it's one of those two to me. That's how I view it. Okay. If anything, then, then we're back in the position where we're just saying it's Riley Brody, but okay. Uh, to and me, it's better to have him than night. not. It's, to, it's better to have Lubushkin than not. I, and I I was actually, you know, you said, oh, there it wasn't overly surprising that they went out and got a player. like this. I fully agree. I was actually, you know what surprised me? The widespread criticism and the negative reaction that we saw from fans online immediately. No, did no he, way they were no, negative no, on no, no, that. No, 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 come on. No, no, no. But you're cynical when it comes to this stuff. Because <laughs> last year at the deadline or leading up to the deadline when they made the the plethora of moves that they did, it was a lot of pretty much universally um, like there was universal praise being heaped on the front office and Kyle Dubas in particular for bringing in all these different weapons and for, for supplementing the blue line with tons of depth. Everybody thought, okay, this is it. This is the group. These are the guys that are capable to finally, that can finally get over the hump. Everybody almost universally loved the, the transactions that were made. And then we spent the last, we've spent the, not even just the last week, But several months now talking about how the blue line isn't at the level of a true playoff caliber blue line. A team, a a group on the back end that can take you deep into the playoffs. And this whole week we've been sitting here saying, they need a right shot defenseman. They need a right shot defenseman. Everybody's been telling you that they've been in the market for a right shot defenseman. Guess what? They get a right shot defenseman. And then the immediate reaction is, oh my God, a third and a six, And they only... Well, A... What do you expect when the two teams involved in this trade, the other two teams involved in this trade, are retaining 75% of the salary combined? The Leafs are paying them below league minimum, and that is by design so that they can still have room to go out and afford to make additional moves ahead of next Friday's deadline. That's why they were comfortable giving away a third and a sixth. It wasn't for the player. It was for the retention. That's like that's the essence of why those picks are involved. It's not he's not worth a third or sixth or even a third like exclusively. That's not the case. But when you have those other two teams taking on salary to give you added flexibility, that's why it becomes a third and a sixth. And I have no issue with it. Also, this 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 uh irked me to no end. Instantly, you see all these people, especially all the hockey nerds, come out and with all their advanced analytics, Uh-oh. throwing out dumb, irrelevant statistics, peripheral stats about how this guy sucks, right? First off, two years ago, Leafs traded for him under the radar, cheap deadline move. Everybody – universally applauded that. Great job, Kyle. You found a cheap solution that we can get a guy who's going to be serviceable enough as a regular on our blue line, right? And, and it worked out. He was fine with the Leafs. He was fine. 31 games, he was actually a plus player. He played 16, 17 minutes a night. Looked like a fine, fine ad. Ended up being pretty valuable for them. And now two years later, he's been on crappy teams and now he sucks? Tell me who on Anaheim is having a great season, Maddie? Who? You want to know? Frank Vitrano's leading them in scoring. He's having a good goal scoring season. He's minus 20. He's got like a ridiculous plus minus. Why? Because they suck. They suck. What do you expect his peripheral statistics to look like? The team is awful. Give me a break. I was very, very disappointed with the reaction because we go from, you like we're talking out of both sides of our mouths here. You want something, but then you get it, and now you're complaining. So what is it that you want? What do you want? They wanted Chris Tanev.
1: That's what they wanted.
2: Yeah. Like, the, and for, we, for and a first round pick, would, well, have that, would that have been the, the. Then we would have said, guess what? If that trade was made yesterday, our reaction would have been, oh my God, he blew it. He gave him they a first overpaid, round pick. Yeah. Right? So, we're, we're, what do we want here?
1: See, you just said I was cynical, but I'm not cynical. I'm just not surprised by anything anymore because that's exactly the reaction that I had expected because people are nuts. And when we talk, you know, here's the, here's the one thing people get so caught up in draft pick movement. And I, and I, I understand that you do need draft picks in order to replenish your system. Could you take a guess at the percentage of third round picks that play games in the NHL? I love that you,
2: you went here. I'm going to take a guess. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say. 1.5%. One point five percent.
1: It's much higher than that, but higher
2: than ten percent, twelve. Okay,
1: so it's higher than the, I thought. But the point is, is that that third round pick, in all likelihood, might not play in the NHL. Might not even play in the NHL. So to get all up in arms about the price paid, it's not as if it's a. It's like you're trading a third round pick in the NFL. Where the, that third round pick is, is it, going to could play be an in instant the end.
2: starter? Yes, exactly. Also.
1: We are talking about an entirely different scenario here. Now, that third round pick may hit; it does happen, but the likelihood is, and we talk about these analytics people putting these stats out. Okay, and I do, for the record, I do believe that there is a place for analytics in sports. So do I. I do I believe agree. that. But here is analytically speaking, because you want numbers, because that's what analytics are. Twelve percent of players that get drafted in the third round will play in the NHL. Can I give you some numbers too? That's seventy. That's eighty-eight percent of players that will not that get drafted there. For those doing math at home, yes, it's good math, Matty. I almost
2: said seventy-eight <laughs> that early. Can I give you some sure numbers? Sure. Okay. Allow me to allow me to indulge quickly. This is my version of nerd hockey. Okay, as best I can, because okay. I I try to I try to limit. The amount of data that I intake when it comes to, especially with hockey, I feel like the eye test means a lot too. Maybe more than some other sports. But that's neither here nor there. Here are some stats for you. Here's here's a look at the percentage of shifts for Ilya Labushkin based on where where his shifts start in relation to the three zones. Okay, okay. The neutral zone, offensive zone, defensive zone. This season, 8.9% of his shifts have started in the offensive zone. 15.7% of his shifts have started in the neutral zone. I have a feeling we're in for a big number here to finish <laughs> well, this off. Well, it's not <laughs> a massive number because a lot of the, – the, there's a percentage that is on the fly. Of course. Right? Of course. But in terms of, like, uh, static shifts sure. that are you're starting off a face-off, 18% in the defensive zone. Anybody want to take a wild guess where Morgan Riley's defensive zone percentage sits in terms of how many – the percentage of shifts that he has – That start in the defensive zone.
1: I'm going to go with 3%.
2: No, no, it's higher than that. Okay, It's much higher than that. Eight? Higher than that. Holy, It's less than Ilya Labushkin, though. And Ilya Labushkin has played third pairing minutes for the Anaheim Ducks all season long. How is it that the supposed number one defenseman on your hockey team, Morgan Riley, has 15% of the time started shifts in his defensive zone? When he's supposed to be... And more often than not, he's been paired with your best, in theory, best defensive defenseman right now in in TJ Brody. And he started 15% of the time in his own zone. Ilya Labushkin, a third-pairing blue liner, has a higher percentage of defensive zone shifts than the guy who's supposed to be your number one defenseman. And we're complaining and people are whining about them going out and acquiring this right-handed defenseman who is a stay-at-home guy, somebody that— Clearly is not going to move the needle as a puck mover, an offensive threat. I get all that, but he is competent enough defensively and clearly, and I know it's a bad, and I just said, it's a very, very crappy, bad ducks team. Reality is they still trusted him enough to throw him out there on the ice in a lot of defensive zone situations. Yeah. That to me tells you there's a level of implicit faith and belief that he's capable of defending at a decent level. And two years ago, we saw it with our own eyes. He was fine. He was fine for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I and I the the here's here's where I would be upset. I would be upset and frustrated if Bradtree Living's plan is for him to come in and play with Riley. If that's why he made this move, then I think we're in trouble. I think the Leafs are in trouble. And we're we're in for a very, very interesting next few months, if that's really what his intention is. But I don't necessarily believe that to be the case. Whether he's able to go out and get another right shot defenseman that can play alongside Riley, or they ultimately have to revert back and and rest on what has been there for the last few years, it's Riley and Brody. I can live with that.
1: I don't know that I can.
2: I can live with that. I'll tolerate that. I'll tolerate that. But I just hope from a... From a planning standpoint, he didn't make this deal with the intention of saying there's our there's our solution for a guy that's going to play alongside Riley. If that was the thought process, I think it's flawed. But short of that, I think he's a guy that makes them better. And I saw a lot of people also pointing um, pointing out that, you know, he's not a guy that has any type of of diversity to his game offensively. He's not a puck mover. He's not a guy that's going to even take advantage of offensive opportunity. I get all that. That's that's fine, but that's not why he's here. That is not why he's here. And if you think you view that as a knock, I just say, well, that's part of the identity of the player. And he's a guy that has carved out a role for himself as a defense first defenseman. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. No, I I. I
1: I don't. I don't mind the deal. Like I, I have no issue with it. It's, it's kind of what I expected, especially because I think you can look at this one of two ways. One, you can say that Brad Treliving does not believe that a what is out there is worth paying a price for. B, you don't believe that this team warrants a big deal like this now because let's be real. Deals can get a little silly at deadline time and you have a better opportunity to, you know, make a deal that can help the future of your franchise better in the off season. And he may just not believe that there is a deal out there that makes them like that. He's willing to pay that price for mm-hmm. to make them a legit Stanley Cup contender, because mm-hmm. what this tells me is, yes, he is adding some help. He's not overpaying for it. Yep. but also. I don't know that this, or I believe that this tells us that he may not believe that this team is good enough to win a Stanley Cup, which they may not be. But they, they probably
2: probably aren't. aren't but that's fair. That's that's a fair. And, and and but this is. But again, he's towing that line of yeah. saying, I still I'm showing that I have some belief in this group, and I'm going to reward them for, especially most recently, this sample of eight wins in their last nine, the seven game winning streak. Hey you guys have earned this right for to have more help walk in the door and address a clear area of need. That's obvious, but also he can toe that line and say, yeah, but I'm not super confident to the point where I'm willing to part with all of our future assets in the interest of saying, that's it. We're getting one kick at the can here and we'll punt all the other stuff down the road. I think, that's that's the prudent approach when it comes to this team, because for him also, it's his first kick at the can. Why would he go? I, I never like I can understand the thought process last year for Kyle Dubison going all in as a guy that was in the final year of his deal and saying, I'm basically like I'm working for my job here.
1: And it felt and like that team was close after they made those. it deals. really
2: did. Like it really did. There were, And I, that's why I said it. Overwhelmingly, it felt like those moves were really universally beloved, and everybody applauded him for being that aggressive at a point where it was, A, they had already made trades in previous years where they had invested a ton of assets, and yet he still said, no, I'm going to triple down and we're going to go for it again. But for Bradtree Living, he's got, he's got time here. Like that's another element. He's got time. He hasn't put his stamp fully on this team. Yeah, it's hard to do it at the deadline because prices are high and you have less flexibility. So he's trying to figure out a way, a creative way, to improve the team, to give it a bit of a, a of a of a boost. Give the the guys in that room a bit of a of a boost, and I think this helps achieve some of that.
1: Yeah. So now the next question is. For, for two guys that didn't think they were going to spend too much time on a, an Ilya Labushkin oh, I, trade, here I we was are. ready to go. Um, <laughs> is this it for Brad Trilliving? Like, is this the – or maybe this is a better question because I don't think this is it, but is this, is this the biggest deal that he's going to make before next Friday's deadline?
2: No. Okay. I don't think so. I think he's got one more in him. I got one more in me, coach. I think he's got one more in him. Okay. One but, more so,
1: substance. So something that he's going to pay more than a third and si- So I guess the what I'm getting at is, is he going to pay more than a third and sixth round pick for something before Friday, next Friday? That's a good question. Because I think that's, I think it's more the value of what – because that would determine the size Can of I the be deal. Honest?
2: So my honest answer is I don't know. I really don't know.
1: It's not good for talk radio, Danielle.
2: No, but I'm just being <laughs> honest. I'm being honest. I'm being transparent. I'm telling you the truth. That's what I feel. I don't know, but I actually do think there will be an additional move made that will have a more profound impact on their lineup. And and I think it will come on the back end, and I think it will be somebody that can hopefully slide in alongside number 44 and be a better fit. Because I don't think, as I've said already, the Labushkin coming in, I think it's a nice ad. I think it's a tidy piece of business he can't be miscast here. If he's not miscast, it'll turn out to be a fine move.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: But if he's miscast and thrust into a role where he's trying to play top pairing minutes with Morgan Riley, it's going to be a problem. So for me, I'm just going to hold out hope and confidence, and I do have confidence, that there is one more move of substance and real consequence to come from Tree Living before next Friday.
1: Okay, so uh, I want to get to... well, there's two two, two texts here for, they're from the same person that I want to get to. Um, this is from Anthony in Nobleton Shout out in Nobleton, Ontario. Great place. Wonderful place. <laughs> um, the, so this Leafs had Jumbo Joe. Might as well have jumbo video as well. Okay, that was pretty good.
2: All right, that's a good uh,
1: one. but like this, this is the one that I really wanted to get to. Leafs wanted Leafs fans wanted a shiny new player, not a recycled player. That's the frustration. and I can see that. Because it's like we already know what this guy is. We want to bring. It's it, it is a very accurate statement. But my argument to them would be: you also know what you're getting here. You've had this guy in your organization. The familiarity is why this deal is so much easier. And not that he was here when Brad Trilliving was here, but I can almost guarantee you that Brad Trilliving went to Sheldon Keith and said, "Hey." I've got this potentially on the table. What do you think of the player? And yeah. Sheldon Keefe would have signed off on that. Mm-hmm. Brad Living's not making this deal without talking to Sheldon Keith. for a guy that's already been in the organization that he's coached. No question. There is no question in my mind that that conversation happened. So that helps. Also, I wouldn't be surprised if Brad Living talked to some of the players too. Some of that leadership group and said, this is the guy we're thinking of bringing in. We want to bring him back. What do you think? Yeah, And they would have said, okay. I'm I'm good with that because there's no way that they're bringing that, in, that that guy in without having that question asked. Now, here's the other thing. I wonder too about messing up whatever chemistry this team has. Granted, last night, and we're going to get into last night's game uh, probably at the yeah, top of the next we'll,
2: hour. Yeah, but revisit it. But that was
1: a game where it wasn't pretty. Mm-hmm. They managed to pull out a victory against a bad team. That's fine. But I do wonder about the chemistry that they're starting to build. Some of the guys that they brought in in the off season are starting to pick up their game. Tyler Bertuzzi scored again last night. Probably should have had two. Max Domi's played better. Ryan Reeves has played better. Got the got the knockout last night. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like things are starting to move in the right direction from a, a compatibility standpoint. Yeah. So upsetting sure. the apple cart this late in the season and going out and making a plethora of moves is not necessarily going to be beneficial for this group. And I think we saw that happen. We talked about this yesterday. We saw it happen in Boston last year where they were the best regular season team and then they went and added a bunch more guys. And you're like, oh my God, look at how well this is going to work. Yeah. And they lost in the first round to Florida. I think all of these things are part and parcel for the conversations that Brad Living is having in his own mind. Do I really want to mess things up here? Do I just add around the around the peripheral, around the edges here and just kind of let this thing play out? And then if that doesn't work, I've got the off-season to revamp my defensive unit. I've got forwards up front that I can move and I can really shape this team into what I believe is a Stanley Cup contender in a in a his first real off-season. Cuz I would say last year there was a we went a long stretch without the Leafs having a general manager. He, a he longer was, stretch than we thought. We it felt
2: were. it felt somewhat. I don't want to say late in the game, but yeah, there was a period there where I mean there was nobody running the hockey. Well, I mean not running. It was uh, it was Brandon it. Brandon doing Pridham was in charge and overseeing yeah. everything in in the interim. But yes, there was a period there where they didn't technically have a GM, and then he he's entering. Think about like think about just coming into a new job, right? You you're, you're, you you want to get your feet wet. It takes time before you can actually get comfortable and settled in. Build relationships with your colleagues and coworkers. And for him, he came in at a time where the NHL draft was like a, a few weeks later. So he's got to familiarize himself with – all the personnel within the organization, the players themselves, and on top of that, prepare for a draft. And then, oh, right after the draft, boom, we're right into free agency. Yeah. So at, at what point did he really have an opportunity to sit there? And he had to make a, a decision on the coach as well, which is something that is also overlooked in all of this. That probably was something that merited a lot of attention uh, in his first few weeks on the job. So where in all of that did he have an opportunity to really sit down circle back and say, okay, how do I view this team? I have my external perception of what this team is all about. He talked a lot about this, actually, Brad Tree Living, when it came to William Nylander and how his perception of the player and the person changed after getting to know him a little bit Mm -hmm. and talking to him. That's real. Like, there's actually – There's a human element to all of this, too. We forget that. because us on the outside, we don't know what makes those guys tick. We don't know what they truly are like behind closed doors, what their personality is all about, their work ethic – all these things, we have a perception of what they are. We think we know who they are. But in reality, if if we got to spend a week, a week's worth of time with Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, whatever, I think our, our perception of who they are would become vastly different the next time we flipped on a microphone and started talking about them. Yeah. And I don't say that as a compassionate figure. I'm just saying that as a realist because naturally that's going to happen. And so he had that to deal with. And on top of that, he also had even, heck, we'll throw the Matthews contract in there. So he's having discussions with Matthews, his agent, trying to get Matt to know Austin and develop that relationship.
1: And the William Nylander extension that was done, too.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So, A lot going on there. To me, I mean, I don't think he's really had an opportunity to sort of detach himself, take time away, think, reflect on what this team is actually is. And then say, okay, how do I want to shape it moving forward? He's yeah. got time for that, yeah. by the way, as well, which is something I know Leaf fans are impatient, rightfully so, because we've been through a lot of playoff failures here in Toronto. When it comes to this team, he's got plenty of time.
1: And not only that, um, he had a good team coming into this season. It was a good enough team to make the playoffs. So there was, It's not like he had to make all these massive decisions and then be like, oh boy, you know, there's a chance we don't make the playoffs. There was almost a zero chance that they weren't going to make the playoffs. Outside of a lengthy Matthews injury or a lengthy Marner injury, there was – you know, very, they, unlikely, they, yeah. very unlikely. Very uh, unlikely. This is a, a good one, and we're going to take a break right after this. Uh, this is from Jordan in Stony Creek. There has to be another move. Why would you pay a premium for 75% retention if there wasn't another move? I agree. I do think there's sure. another move, but I would temper my expectations on what that move may be. That would be my only um, – my only course of action, personally, is I'm going to temper my
2: expectations. 1.4 million in cap space, projected cap space, by the way. That's part of the incentive of, obviously, as Jordan put it, you pay a premium, and that's exactly what they did to get the 75 percent retention, all with the goal of having that 1.4 available ahead of next Friday.
1: Yeah, well, it'll be very interesting to see. Uh, by the way, I will be hosting next Friday, 12 to two, trade deadline with Gord Stelly. There we go. Good don't blog. you dare! Don't you dare forget it. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays were in action yesterday. They lose five nothing to the Philadelphia Phillies. Vladdy Jr. goes two for three, but my co-host has concerns about Mr. Guerrero Jr. And we're going to get to those. And boy, there's some other stuff brewing here. Um, whether it be <laughs> the chiefs a uh, conversation or PWHL rule changes and what we'd like to do for the NHL. We'll get to all that and more. When we come back, it's the Fan Morning Show. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi, you're listening on Sportsnet 590, The Fan
0: dive deep into toronto sports and the nfl the jd bunkus podcast subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts
1: welcome back to the Fan morning show matt marchese danielle franceschi with you here is this a shot at the Ilya Labushkin deal? All the small things? <laughs> it's just a small deal.
2: You know, I was in a good mood and I was thinking positively, and I hear this song, and it always brings me back to one of my favorite movies. Okay. And you know I'm not a big movie. You are you are not TV show buff. This always brings me back to American Pie. Love I love it. I love that series. That that franchise. How old
1: are you when American oh, Pie would have come out? Dude, I I didn't think. see American is that, Pie. movie's like
2: I didn't see the original American Pie until god. I don't know. It it was a long time. Like the movie cuz that movie, you tell me when it came out, but I maybe I wasn't uh, even
1: born yet. You were you were a spry 3-year-old. Oh. 1999. That's
2: crazy. That timeless classic by the way, that entire franchise. Awesome, awesome fun movies to watch. And yeah, that tune always brings me back to that movie franchise.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I uh, I remember watching it. Um, when oh God, I would have been ten years old when it came out, but I watched it a little bit after that. Um, who was the actress
2: that was in there? Why am I blanking on? Uh, Couldn't tell you. Shannon. Don't 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 try and tempt me here. I have no idea. Guys,
1: do the work. You know who I'm talking
2: about. I have no clue.
1: Austin and Josh definitely know who I'm talking about. They probably do. Yeah. The fact that I can't find it this quickly is really bothering me. Because <laughs> I'm literally looking at, at Shannon Elizabeth. That's okay. who Shout All out right. Shannon Elizabeth. Okay. And I'm not going to tell you why.
2: Couldn't tell you which character she played, by the way. I can't. I'm terrible with that stuff. Names, faces. Let oh. me
1: put it to you this way. If I watch it at 13 years old, you can figure out who Shannon Elizabeth is.
2: Okay. I think I have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: well done. Um, she was hitting homers. You know who wasn't hitting homers was Vladdy Guerrero oh, Jr. yesterday. Great segue. And okay. So he goes two for three yesterday. Yes. I confess. I did not watch the game. I was busy um, trying to sleep, watching my kid, all that stuff. <laughs> And, but you texted almost immediately after his first at bat. I feel like it was was pretty first or
2: second. I can't remember. It was around one thirty.
1: So I'm pretty sure it's first at bat. First at bat. And you and you said, Maddie, I'm a little concerned (laughs) (laughs) about him. And and this is from the guy who said before spring training started. I'm not going to get too caught up in it. I'm just going to let it play out. I'm not going to get too worried. Yes. And you are now <laughs> worried about Vladdy Guerrero Jr. He did go two for three yesterday. Please explain to me your worry. And, I, and we've talked about
2: this off air. Yeah. I know what it is.
1: Yeah. But you have numbers to back this All up plenty. why it is a very, very concerning thing. Oh, plenty. When Please I, do explain for the audience.
2: When I get going down a rabbit hole, it's hard for me to stop digging because I am I am very much invested. I do that with
1: old wrestling videos. But anyway, I don't I do that with stats because I'm great too. Yeah.
2: Uh but yeah, when I want to drive a point home, that's when I start getting curious and keep trying to dig and find different Ways to analyze it and numbers to support my argument and my evidence. Um, okay, well, first off, to go back to what you said about my sweeping observation, or excuse me, the 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 sentiment that I had leading into spring training, uh, which I voiced publicly, and and I even reiterated earlier this week in talking about Alec Manoa. I did say, hey, I'm going to try and avoid making any sweeping observations based on a month's worth of you know overall. I don't want to say meaningless games, but games that don't count. At the end of the day, it's all for preparation's sake. That being said, I do think, and I have said this as well, because I even mentioned this in regards to Manoa, there are certain trends that become um a bit that can become concerning and that are very much translatable and applicable to regular season baseball. So Vladimir Guerrero Jr., what has really stood out to me, and, and credit goes to Jeff Party for even throwing this out and mentioning it as a talking point, something to monitor, and and it really did. By the way, for those that don't know,
1: Jeff Azaparty was a very good baseball player. Oh, was he? Actually, I didn't know I
2: didn't know was a very good baseball player. Credit to Azo. Jeff Azaparty, who was producing for us uh, Monday through Thursday this week. It's now the great Austin Mackey behind the glass filling in for him in his usual post. Um had pointed out that he's like, hey, you know, Vladdy doesn't look like he still looks like he's struggling to catch up to the heater. The fastball is eating him up. And I said, yeah, you know, and that was after the first spring training game. And I'm like, but it's, it was two at bats. Like how much stock are we really going to put into it? I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to monitor it. I'm going to watch closely over his next few appearances. Let's see what it actually looks like. And boy, oh boy, Maddie, I watched every at bat yesterday. And that first one, he comes up and I see him, I see him face the heater for the first time. And it just, Oh it just it just put me in a in a position where I thought, boy oh boy, here we go again. It felt like deja vu watching him take at bats last year. So allow me to run through his three at bats. Let's, Let's break it. it down, Manny. His first AB came against former Blue Jay Max Castillo, a right hander. Okay, Max Castillo, you may recall we saw him moonlight with the Jays occasionally. It I think it was two years ago. It wasn't last year because they were remarkably healthy. I think it was two years ago we saw Max Castillo a little bit. Anyway. Vladdy in that first AB saw three fastballs, three pitches, three fastballs. He worked himself into an advantage count, a two O count. And this is where I got concerned. Okay. So he registers a bloop single on the third pitch. It's a, it's a fastball 90. It was a, they were all 93 miles an hour. It's a 93 mile an hour heater in a two O leverage count. He bloops a single to center field. Exit velocity is like 65 miles an hour. And it
1: was that's not good for those keeping track at home. Not good.
2: (laughs) Very awkward looking swing. Okay, fine. I was thinking the timing was completely off. That was when I texted and I said, I think I have a little bit of a concern here. But again, I'm trying not to put too much stock into one at bat. So we get to the second at bat. Here we go. He saw a curveball and two fastballs. And he was facing a lefty now in Kobe Allard from the uh, – it was the Phillies they were playing, right? Yes, was it the Phillies? yes sir. Phillies, okay? Who's going to probably be in their bullpen. That's a guy that is uh, a major leaguer uh, by trade. A lefty reliever, Kobe Allard. He saw a curveball, two fastballs in that bat. The fastballs were 91 and 92 miles an hour, respectively. He gets to a 1-1 count, okay? He flies out to right field on a 92-mile-an-hour fastball. Want to know why that's significant? I had this observation watching him in person a lot last year. He was always late on pitches. And the easiest way to discern how a hitter is timing up a pitch, it's when they foul pitches off, what direction the foul ball is going. Mm -hmm. So if they're late... And you're and you're a right-handed hitter. Awful. You're yes. You're fouling off everything down the first baseline. I cannot tell you how many times being in person watching games with Vladdy at the plate, he fouled in leverage counts, fouled off fastballs to the first base side, and seldom did he ever foul balls, hooking them out to left field, which is what you want to see because it shows that he's at least in front of the ball. And then you're saying, okay, well now it just requires that extra one half second of patience to then take advantage and put the ball in play. He flew out to right field on a Mike Maddie. It's a 92 mile an hour fastball, not 98, not a hundred 92. And he flies out to right field. And it looked again, like a very awkward swing where his timing wasn't there. Mechanically, he's trying to adjust different things. You can see like his hands are quieter. He's not, he's not bringing him down as much, but it just, it doesn't look right. It looks kind of wonky. His third at bat was, actually the most concerning. And weirdly, it's the one he doubled on. He doubles to left field in this at-bat, his third at-bat, final at-bat of the day. He's facing right-handed pitcher. Uh, it's, I don't know if it's Junior Marte or Un- it's spelled with a Y, if it's Junior Marte. But he saw three sinkers, a fastball, and a slider in this at-bat. Let me take you through pitch by pitch. First pitch, third at-bat. It's a sinker at 96. Swinging strike. He swings through it. Second pitch, 96.8 miles an hour. He swings and misses. Strike two. Third pitch, 97 mile an hour fastball. He fouls it off. Where did Sink- he foul it to? I, I actually don't remember. Yeah. I don't recall. And I didn't jot that down. Sinker, fourth, ap- fourth pitch of the at bat, it's a sinker. So he's seen, all he's seen is hard stuff, okay? 97, takes it for a ball. Fifth pitch is a slider at 86 miles an hour, hooks it down into left field wasn't even hit that hard. It came off the bat at 77 miles an hour and he happened if you saw the highlight it was like a it was like a creative slide that resulted in a double. 2 for 3, the box score will tell you, he's hitting five something in spring training through 3 games. If you watch it with your eyes, you'd be saying, "God, he looks incredibly uncomfortable at the plate." I'm concerned because historically, he hit 272 on fastballs last year but he had a 307 expected batting average against that pitch. That's nearly 30 points lower than what, it was the projection just based off of the pitches he saw. The batting average should be. He should have been a 300 hitter. It also showed and represented a decrease from 2022 when he hit 292 on fastballs. If we go back to his rookie year, Maddie, that's 2019 when he couldn't. And the biggest issue with him in 2019 was he couldn't hit off speed stuff. He was getting tricked by the big league sweepers and the sliders, the breaking balls. Okay, he hit 315 against the fastball. So why is it that the one pitch you're supposed to dominate against, every great hitter goes up into the box, and what do they want to see? They want to see fastball. You are supposed to hunt the heater, especially when you put yourself in leverage counts. This guy, for whatever reason, has gotten worse. He's regressed. At age 24, he has regressed as a fastball hitter, which is something that you should never, ever see from a player that is putting up 25-plus homers, 90 RBI on an annual basis. And yet, for Vladdy, it's not the off-speed stuff. It's not that. He can't hit the heater. And if you can't do that, why would the opposing team, if they catch wind of this and notice this trend, And you're seeing it in spring training. Why would anybody throw you anything else?
1: Every pitcher right now is the kid from the pitcher from Sandlot going, Ham, here's my here. (laughs) That's what they're doing. That's it. And you know what's funny that you the, the way you're describing it and the numbers, the numbers certainly tell you a story. What's so interesting about that is if he was just marginally better at hitting the fastballs, what kind of a jump would he have in offensive numbers? Like, think about think about where his batting average would be. Think about where his power numbers would be if he could just hit the fastball a little bit better. We wouldn't be having the same conversation at all. that we were. You know, I'd be curious. Do you have the numbers in front of you in terms of what he did in 2021? Yes,
2: I do. Sorry, and I'm glad I was going to just reference this because I, I overlooked it briefly. He absolutely mashed and destroyed the fastball. Everybody points to this is where I will defend Vladdy in that 2021 season cuz everybody says and I've said it it's the anomaly. I agree. I think it's probably a bit of an outlier, but it is still within him. I think that ceiling of a guy that's hitting 310 with 40 homers, he can still do that. I think it's in there. You don't lose that talent. It's it's innately within you. But Everybody, what is when when we talk about twenty twenty one? What is the biggest criticism that every everybody levies? And, ballpark, ballpark, okay, ballpark. You know what you can't change. Yes, the dimensions are different. The environment is there. You know what you cannot change. The pitching. Yep. The guys are still throwing the same pitches. Velocity is still strong, right? You're not. You still need to be able to have a discipline at the strike zone and have a keen eye, not chase bad pitches. That's still on the player. Twenty twenty one, Matt Heath hit three sixty six against the fastball, three sixty six, and I'll take it one step further: thirty five extra base hits, twenty six home runs. Crazy.
1: Yeah, and when see you what talk- happens. And when you talk about that season as well, when he hits the fastball better, guess what? Exit velocity is going to go up too, which sure. is the highest that he's had in his career. By, by three miles per hour. Like that's not insignificant. Nope. Like the net so 95.1 exit velocity. The next highest is 92.8. And that he mm-hmm. had uh 2022. So this is all something that when we talk about Vladdy and the ceiling, it's not like it's it's a big deal because he's he's not hitting the fastball, but it feels like it's something that is I don't want to say easily correctable, but something that I'm sure the Blue Jays have looked at and are working at. Here's the other thing that I that I wanted to bring up because Vladdy has had significant body changes over the course of his career as well. And the one guy that I pointed to was CC Sabathia. Now, CC Sabathia's his Body change was significant. Like he lost 40 pounds. But when he lost 40 pounds, his numbers took a massive hit. And he actually had to put weight back on to pitch at a similar level that he had when he was 40 pounds heavier. The funniest thing about that was what I had read was one of the biggest changes he made to his diet was not eating a box of like Sugar Crisp or Captain (laughs) Crunch or something like late at night, like a box. A box. A not, box. Not
2: a one, not what not a bar. A, a box. box. <laughs> but that
1: that is also something when we talk about the mechanics of a swing and being late on pitches, like maybe he's not generating as much power in his swing, which is why he's behind. Like his maybe his bat speed is behind. It's maybe possible. maybe Vlad like this is gonna sound really stupid, but as two guys who need yeah, sure. aids to see <laughs> Maybe Vladdy needs to get his eyes checked. Like, there's a, there's again, so stupid, but remember the conversations we used to have about Jameis Winston? Yeah.
2: Jameis
0: yeah, Winston played
1: quarterback and then needed laser eye surgery this.
2: after he threw uh, 30 picks and 30, 30 touchdowns.
1: <laughs> NFL's first 30 30 man
2: in baseball. They're like, we had that a long time ago. Yeah, hey, at least to some extent, there was. Some, I mean, part of it is Jameis is not all that great, but. At least he was like, ah, okay. At least there, here's a bit of an explanation to describe why I was very bad. I, I and I, I couldn't see defenders in the yeah, middle of the field all the yeah. time.
1: I I do wonder too about in baseball it happens. There is a constant tweaking. I just wonder if Vladdy is like I would be really curious to see what the mechanics of the swing look like in 2021, and I'd be curious to see what the swing mechanics look like yesterday. I wonder if there is a is a big difference in what we are seeing. You know, Joe I Siddle so. does breakdowns on those in season. Um, Chris Black, actually, that's that's probably who we should get on the case here, is Chris <laughs> Black, producer here at Sportsnet. does a great job. Break down the tape, Chris. Uh, down to Black, I think, is his
2: yeah, uh, Twitter tw-
1: handle, and he does great work on there. But I, I'm very curious to see if if there is a big difference in that because the fact that what what did you say you hit against uh, the fastball in twenty twenty one like three sixty three sixty six, and he's two and he was two seventy five last year or two seventy two. We're talking about almost a hundred points here. It's a huge that, difference. That man. is, and again we the. We can say whatever we want. Oh, the the you know you mentioned the ballparks, the the baseballs were juiced. All of that stuff doesn't change. It does not change what these guys are throwing. Exactly. And if you can hit the fastball, that, you-
2: that still existed at that point. Sure. Are we gonna if we if we want to poke holes in a lot of different things and and talk about various the the variables that are involved here? Well, heck, sticky stuff was around. That was real. That still existed. He he was perfectly fine. Didn't make that much of a difference. In terms of his production at that point, there's something, man. There is really something. And 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 he's he's working through some mechanical changes right now. Buck talked about it even on the broadcast yesterday. They're not extremely noticeable. Like you're not gonna flip on a game and say, Oh my god, his stance and his routine looks completely different. Yeah. It's not drastic. But But minor things are in are a baseball things. swing
1: make a big difference. For sure. It's a it could be it could be uh the difference. Of you know, three or four milliseconds or two milliseconds, but that's the difference between between him hitting and not hitting a fastball. Yes, it, it is as simple as that. It's like I always say about golf. You know, that's why golf is so hard because if you miss hit the ball by a millimeter, it can go sixty yards in the wrong direction. Yeah. But if you miss hit you know a hockey puck or a soccer ball by a millimeter it's too, it's going not going to make it's not going to make a difference.
2: Yeah, um, great point.
1: Blue Jays baseball on Sportsnet as the Jays take on the Yankees in Tampa. At George Steinbrenner Field. First pitch scheduled for 635. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the Leafs in the game last night. Also in the next hour, Sam Cosentino from NHL and Sportsnet and NHL's uh, Sportsnet's lead draft analyst will also join us. Uh, lots to go here. Um, and we didn't even talk about the Leaf game last night because Daniele was so fired up about Ilya Labushkin and all the fans. But we're going to talk about the game next when we come back. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi, you're listening to The Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.